among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we, we do come, uh, even we, as we approach your word, we're mindful of all the things that are going around uh, in the world around us. And, uh, Lord, uh, we do have heavy hearts for uh, losing a brother in Christ in Fleetwood Maddox. And we do pray for Katie and their family um, as they mourn. Pray that they would find that you are the source of all comfort. And, Father, we, we mourn with them because... Death is such a great reminder that this is not the way that things were supposed to be. And, Father, so much of the world is not as it's supposed to be, but, Father, we pray that you'd help us to maybe even push those things out of the back of our minds just for a few moments so that we might focus our hearts on you. Pray that you would speak to us through your word. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe it's because I, I immediately prayed afterwards, but one of the things I noticed after I read the passage was complete silence. And if I was to read this passage maybe in front of an auditorium of college students who were unchurched, and I read something like I just read, it probably wouldn't have been silence. But we respond with silence because most of us grew up in the American Bible Belt, and we've heard passages like this our entire life. But if you hadn't grown up listening to the Bible your entire life, what you just heard probably sounds a little crazy. It's nonsensical. Things about being great, being a servant, first being a slave, um, God being a servant. Like, these things are upside down and backwards. They don't make sense to us. They don't go with what we, we understand. And you might not ever say Christianity is upside down and backwards. But if you look at this passage, it does not fit with 2015. It doesn't fit with the way most people are viewing the world. Christianity is, by the way, upside down and backwards. If a normal person, I'm saying we're all not normal, so welcome to the group. Uh, if a normal person reads this passage, they would say, you have greatness and religion all wrong. You have greatness and religion all wrong. They're not talking to us, they're talking to Jesus. You have greatness and religion all wrong. Christianity is upside down and backwards in two ways. One, like I said, how to define greatness, but also how to be right with God. When I talk about religion, how to be right with God, otherwise how to be right with God or how to be righteous or what righteousness is like, it says the culture would tell us that it's backwards. If you guys were to consider greatness right now in 2015, um, I need you guys to respond for me for a second. I know this might be uncomfortable. What is greatness in 2015? Someone say something. Celebrity. Money. Power. Anyone want to add anything to those? Weirdness. Weirdness. Hey, yeah. There's plenty of weird... That's, it goes hand in hand with that celebrity thing that Jay had just talked about. But yeah, I think in 2015, this is what I was thinking about it. If you're just a beautiful, rich athlete, amazing at what you do, that's about as great as it can be. Or maybe a talented musician with the ability to act. It's like, this is greatness in our culture. Uh, for most of us, this doesn't touch us. But you know what? We all love greatness. We all have an idea of greatness in our mind. So what is greatness for you? That's the real question. Uh, 
if you were to think about greatness, you just need to be the best at fill in the blank, whatever it is. You also probably want to be a little bit popular, have a good reputation. Um, you Don't forget, to be really great, you need to be a little bit good looking, have enough money to fit in, but not enough, too much money to appear as to be a snob. And you just start thinking about being great in this culture, and you're like exhausted already, and you just want to stop. However you define greatness, in 2015, greatness is this, is how far you can ascend, how far you can ascend in culture. And now, let's look at what Jesus says, and Jesus says is upside down. Jesus says there in verse 26 that greatness is serving. Worse yet, actually, it's worse than that. Greatness is being a servant. You know, uh, we just finished a thing called Project Sweat with some of our students here at this church. You can serve temporarily and not be a servant. We can serve even for wrong motives. We can serve to get something in return. Jesus says you need to be a servant. There's a big difference between serving and being a servant. It's all in how you view yourself, how you view your life. When you look at this word here for servant or slave, the idea is that it's an attendant. Someone who is in your service to attend to your needs. A constant attendant. There's no getting around what this passage is saying. And be certain the world, other religions of the world, do not agree with what Jesus is saying. This is upside down. Today, um, this is not working. Uh, This is our passage. We already read this. Not working. Now, here's greatness in 2015. LeBron James. It doesn't get more famous, rich, powerful, influential as this. This is a person who hosts press conferences for a change of address. Okay? This is greatness in 2015. But Jesus says that this is not right. Because here's greatness in 2015. Greatness is you have the world... Still not working. This is what we call technology backfire. Still not working. There we go. Here is how the world views greatness. Everyone in the world is trying to climb to the pinnacle, to become LeBron James. Now, I know you might not. Andy probably really wants to be LeBron James because he loves basketball. But we all are trying to get to the top of the heap trying to set ourselves apart, trying to have the power, the wealth, the celebrity, whatever it might be, even if it's on the micro scale. Jesus calls this upside down. He says that greatness is being a servant and serving. Now, Jesus says that his kingdom, the kingdom that he reigns over, is opposite of the world. And it's this way, because Greatness in Jesus' kingdom is not measured by how far you can ascend, but how low you're willing to stoop. How far you're willing to stoop to serve, to be a servant. Let me see if I can get this next diagram to come up. If not, Joe, you just keep hitting it because it's not working. Here we go. Here's what we have. This is what Jesus says is the next thing. Here's what Jesus says. In fact, what you need to do is become a servant to everyone else. To serve others. Here's the really crazy thing about what Jesus says is that 
Greatness is, exists in giving of yourself and serving others, even serving your enemies. Now, that would be a tall order, a tall ask of Jesus, except for the fact that that's what he did. And we get to see this actually played out in our world, right? Very rarely do you see this played out, especially in media, which doesn't love this. But there's a prime example of this right now, and it's happening in Charleston, South Carolina. We have a church, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are demonstrating the servant role, who are literally choosing to love people who aren't lovely, who are choosing to serve and show the world Christ. This is greatness in the eyes of Christ. And you know what? The world is amazed right now. You realize that we have a race problem in our country, and there's no solution to it. Except this right here is making people stop dead in their tracks and ask what's going on. It's healing things. It's amazing how when we just apply the Bible, it starts healing things. What Jesus is saying is greatness is measured in service, but really what is that? It's humility and love together in perfect harmony. To be a servant, it really takes about three things. It takes, one, you starting by counting others better than yourself. Then you have to love the people. And then you have to take action. You have to get all the way down to action to really actually be a servant. One commentator said this, When we do this, when we count others better than ourselves, we love them, and then we're moved to action. He said, In doing this, are we not following the footsteps of our Lord and Savior? According to God the Father, Jesus is the greatest man to ever walk this earth. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter 2. Talking about Jesus, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So my question, I guess, is to begin with is, how do you view greatness? Is it ascending? Is it the materialism that we see in the world? Is it gaining reputation or popularity or presence in the eye of your neighbor? Or do you buy into the greatness that Jesus is talking about? the one that gives of your time, your energy, gives of yourself and your resources? Are you counting others better than yourself, loving? Are you moved to action? Now, this is, this is the opposite of the world, what the world says. This is crazy in the eyes of the world. But By the way, this is not the craziest thing Jesus said in these two little, two little verses. The next part, the thing that talks when Jesus starts talking about how man is right with God, this is where people lose their minds. Now, if you were ever in a room... Let's use John Kinzer because he's not here. If we're all in this room and you guys found your all, all of you finding yourself in agreement with John Kinzer, you should stop and start asking questions first thing. But let's just say Kinzer was pointing at this wall and he's like, this is a beautiful dark blue wall. It's beautiful. And I see all of you like, yeah, that's a nice dark blue wall. And I'm standing here like, am I taking crazy pills or something? Because this is a beige wall. This is not blue, but everyone is standing around admiring the dark blue wall. Yes, you understand if Jesus was in a room with the culture of all the religions in the world, they would be looking at the world in greatness and how God and man are made right with one another. They'd all be talking about a dark blue wall. And Jesus would be, and Christianity would be in that room saying, Am I taking crazy pills? Because when they look at this verse, the only person saying this kind of stuff is Jesus himself. 
And this is why they think he's crazy, because of two reasons, because of two things he said. First, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then he said, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you give me like just a couple minutes, I'm going to tell you why this message and Jesus were the two biggest revolutionaries this world has ever known. Like, the fact that people who don't believe in Jesus still order their day and their calendar around the person. So, let's look at this. Their first problem is this. This is why they think he's crazy. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Here's why they think you're crazy. Because everyone knows that man serves God. That's the created order. The creature serves the creator. And Jesus has, has something here that sounds contrary to that. Then the second thing, it says, The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Everyone knows that God doesn't give his life for people. People give their life to God. And so they're thinking, just in the way we understand God, this doesn't even fit. Most people that are listening to Jesus, even his disciples right here, this is revolutionary in their own mind. But Jesus is making no sense to them. But here's the thing. This is what makes Christianity unique. Christianity is the only religion in the world where God comes to us. Every other religion in the world says, do good. Do enough. Be enough. Climb the ladder to heaven. And Jesus says, that's a lie. There is no ladder to heaven. And you can't do enough or be good enough. The gospel according to Jesus is kind of lying right here in front of us in these, these two little statements. The first one is this. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. We talked just a few minutes ago about this diagram right here. And Jesus described, here's what greatness is. If Jesus is going to come to earth to be our Savior, and he's to be great, he also has to do this. He has to put himself at the bottom of that inverted pyramid and serve the world. Jesus had to be a servant. It required humility and love. In fact, he had to volunteer for the position because he didn't deserve it. And he took on humiliation. He came to earth for this purpose. This is the, the reason he walked onto this planet, because he came to serve you. He came to serve me. And as I think about my life, that's pretty humbling if you think about it for a minute. But Jesus came. Here's, it sounds uncomfortable. Jesus came to make you great. Jesus didn't come to be served. Um, here's the thing. Jesus didn't need to be served. Jesus is sitting perfectly in the heavens, in the heavenly places, in the Trinity, perfectly worshipped in the, in the Spirit and by the Father, and the millions of angels sitting around the throne. Jesus didn't need to be served. He didn't even need to be glorified. He was perfectly glorified. He doesn't need our service or our glory. What in the, think about it. What in the world could we have possibly added to Jesus? Nothing. It's what Jesus could add to us. No, Jesus doesn't need our good works or our treasures. Those are what the Bible calls filthy rags. What, what was required is that he would truly become a servant. And there's no faking this. Jesus really had to do this. There's no pass that Jesus gets because he's the son of God. He doesn't get to bypass the cross. We see this in the garden. He knows he has to take the cup. He really had to serve. He really had to do that right there. Unless you be fooled, this, don't underestimate. This is a big job. It cost him his life. That's why you see here the last part of this verse. And to give his life as a ransom for many. To serve us. To make us great. To glorify us. 
it cost Jesus his life. It required his life. For Jesus simply means this. To serve us meant death. It meant death. And when it says here that his life was a ransom for many, this is a really cool word, ransom. The original intended meaning here is that it was a price paid to set slaves free. It is a price paid to set slaves free. So Jesus came to earth for one reason, to make an exchange. To exchange his life to set captives free. You know, Jesus had to come and give his perfect life because our life had been ruined. As much as I would like to think, I could offer my life to God and that would do something. My life had been ruined by sin and it had no value whatsoever in overcoming my sin problem. The same goes for you. My life, as far as salvation goes, had no value. Now, God calls it valuable. But we were all slaves to sin, dead in our trespasses, and Jesus had to come. And if Jesus comes to pay the ransom, and then you truly are redeemed, it's then and only then that we actually offer our lives back to him in service and to honor him as we should. Because we finally, finally can So here it is. Jesus did not come into the world merely to be an example for you or to show you God. He did. He did both of those. He's a great example, and he showed you God. But he came to be a sacrificial ransom payment is what we're seeing right here, to set you free from slavery, to set me free from slavery. We needed ransoming. If you don't believe that, if if, if we don't get that, that we needed to be ransomed, then we just don't buy what Jesus is saying we probably would say that Christianity is upside down and backwards too. But the reality is, Christianity is upside down and backwards. You understand that, right? God is treating us better than we deserve. We have a word for this in, in Christianity. It's called grace. God has shown us great grace by coming to stoop and to serve us and to love us. And what does he ask of us? Believe Not the belief like the demons have. They believe and they shudder. No one knows all the right answers about Jesus better than Satan. But he doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust him as his only hope for salvation. That's what God wants from us. And he doesn't just want that once. Most of us in this room probably have already done that. But he wants that every day. Because the walk in obedience to Christ requires that every day. I want to end with this story. Um... Probably my favorite, my favorite president, uh, there are several good presidents, but maybe the, my favorite one is Abraham Lincoln. Uh, there's a story of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he visited a slave auction. He'd never been to one, and he wanted to, to see what everything was like. So he went to a slave auction to witness the scene. And upon arriving, he witnessed a young black woman up on the auction block as... Most of the time, she was stripped and just standing there. And she was up on the auction block, and uh, his opening bid, not much was going on. And there was nothing special about this girl. She wouldn't have been great for anything particularly suited. And, and Abraham Lincoln's like, he made a bid. And not another person made a bid. And he won the girl... And after purchasing her, Lincoln looks at the little, young, disbelieving girl, and he looks at her and says, you're free to go. And in her surprise, she just said, what does that mean? 
And it means you're free, Lincoln replied. And she says, does that mean I can say whatever I want to say? Yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, dear, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? Yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And the girl just stopped and stood there. And she started crying. And as the tears were just coming down her face, she looks at Abraham Lincoln and says, Then I will go with you. You understand that we were like that girl, harassed, helpless, naked, with nothing special about us, enslaved to sin. And God looks at us, and he purchases us with his grace when he didn't have to. And what is our response to be? I'm going with you. That's the only true response to grace. That sounds good for salvation. It's hard later this afternoon when I want to be angry. It's hard later when I want to be upset with one of my kids or cross with my wife. But to go with Jesus means I treat these people differently than I would have if I was still my old self. Then I will go with you. May that be our answer for all of us. Let me pray. Father, uh, indeed, in the cross... Uh, The Son of Man did come to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, and it has changed everything. It has changed the world, potentially changed everything about us. And, Father, there is a response that we should have. Pray, Lord, that we would be one anew daily by the beauty of the gospel, and that the utterance of our heart would be, I will go with you. God, it may seem upside down and backwards to the world to to serve people who don't even love us when there's nothing guaranteed in return. And that, Lord, it may seem odd to people that we cling to Christ as our only hope of salvation and we don't bow the knee to other pressures. But, Lord, um, where else will we go? What else would we do? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. Father, I pray that we would cling to you more and more each day. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.